Welcome to the Stories Are Soul Food podcast, presented by Cannonball Books, the kids' fiction imprint of Cannon Press. So I followed the ghost of a king with every step I tried to see beyond for trace of the rivers. Welcome to SAS number. I think we're 79. S- 79. In our pathway towards. Means we just won't shut up. The go- <laughs> we. <laughs> I don't know. You might have wished it. This at turns some point. into a, a can't stop, won't stop. We're trying different chairs today. Yep. So they don't have to offend people with my exposed ear. Are you people offended? You know, deeply people, offended. People are too sensitive. No, I'm not. I just don't want to have to talk about it. But then here I am talking about it. So, <laughs> oh well. Okay. Well, why is that headphone off of your ear? Yeah. Why do you have to talk about it? It's it's a secret. Yeah. It is. It is funny though because. The number of times I tell people now, oh, yeah, well, I still can't wear headphones because, you know, my brain surgery. And people say, you had brain surgery? I'm like, yeah, I did. (laughs) You must be a a long-time listener, recent, no, not a long-time listener. Um, Yeah, I had brain surgery. So, just, Mm -hmm. yes, I did. There we go. Now, But it was some time ago. It was like five years ago now. And so, plenty of people have discovered us in that interim where it was kind of a big thing for me that feels like it happened last weekend but it didn't it was five years <laughs> it, ago this was a big thing for nate i remember <laughs> it being a big thing we didn't know that nate would survive we'll talk about this at a time. <laughs> yeah, we, I think we feel like we have anyway that's when my headphone is off of my ear and i'm in a different chair we're trying a different less offensive angle to viewers not exposing my scarred and cosmetic ear but i was i, I was like, stuck I, I do like that it's called a cosmetic ear <laughs> yeah it's decorative. It's about a centimeter wrong. It's placed too high now, the ear is. And that's awesome. The best thing I, about I, this, I've said this already, but I'll say it again because we, we've already established that people don't listen or don't remember or only hear some things. Uh, I reestablished this uh, flying back from California this last weekend, flying on Sunday when I wear headphones on airplanes and I have, you know, I'm wearing it like a spaz and I've got. <laughs> I've got one ear covered and one ear un- uncovered. People assume it's so they can speak to me. Well, you know, that's I, what I yeah. do in this chair. <laughs> yeah, it's like Nate's listening. You're showing an ear. It means you're you literally are giving an ear. And so, you know, my kids have gotten pretty good at hitting me to try to alert me to the fact that somebody's trying to communicate. Dad, dad, smack! <laughs> they hit me a point, and I'll turn. It'll be somebody you know, trying to share something because they Whispering. thought that I was making myself available for conversation when in fact, I'm just decorating the left side of my head with a useless piece of cartilage. Cosmetic. <laughs> Cosmetic <laughs> it, it has cartilage. A <laughs> Cosmetic cartilage. But yeah, so. That can be the title for this episode. We really could, sure. we could spend this whole podcast talking about the last flight I took. Oh yeah? We I won't. thought things were getting back to normal. In the air. We won't, oh. <laughs> but, but I will spend some part of this podcast talking about it. The airline was Delta. The evening was Sunday. <laughs> Many terrible stories begin thus. Yeah. I, you know, I prefer Delta. I have my reasons. We take off from the, the city by the, the Lake of Salt in Utah, which is a whole different thing. But there's, there's Salt Lake City. We're taking off. It's nighttime. We get up in the air. We're going a little bit. And the pilot comes on 
the intercom and says, um, we have struck birds. So we have, we have collided with birds. I'm afraid we have to return to Salt Lake City immediately. Oh. And so we turn around, we have to descend and land. And as we turn around and we descend, the plane starts to shake. We're getting a little chatter, getting a little turbulence. Announcement comes over the, the intercom that this turbulence is not connected to the bird strike. This is just <laughs> descending into Salt Lake. And yet, people begin to lose their minds. Oh, man. They lose their minds completely. There's only about three people. Uh, but three. S screaming and weeping or what? person behind me in the row behind me was insisting that she was having a heart attack and she was dying. And... <laughs> Uh, she was having a pretty intense panic attack. Uh, they end up dropping the oxygen mask from the ceiling and putting her on oxygen. And and we we do land and the various people are escorted off of the plane. And people begin being escorted off. Cops come on, firemen come on. In different waves, people are being removed. Then they open the doors and say, anybody who just wants to remove themselves can remove themselves. People do. Quite a number of people do. And while they're checking the plane to see if it's good to go for Spokane, uh, they come back. Finally, the pilot comes on and says, we are good to fly. It actually was just one really large bird that we hit on the windshield. <laughs> Probably an owl, given that it was nighttime. Poor owl. <laughs> hit a jet in Salt Lake City. Uh, what a way to go. It must have been pretty up there, whatever it was, because, you know, yeah. it wasn't like right away. It could have been one of those eider geese. Just really. Yeah. Creston thwap over the mountains. <laughs> yeah, yeah could have. So, yeah, it was a high altitude bird. It was a large bird and it was Kershmack right on the windshield. Oh, wow. Uh, but they said that was it. It was the only one. We had no engine damage, no mechanical issues. We're going to go to Spokane. We're good to go. Pilots ready to fly. Co-pilots ready to fly. Let's go. Pilots making this announcement and the flight attendant interrupts him. While he's standing there, visibly, so he's actually standing there, he's grabbed the phone and he's making this announcement, everybody's saying we're good to go. A flight attendant interrupts his announcement to say that she is too nervous to work. And she's not the only what one. What have we done? <laughs> Two flight attendants are too nervous to work. And mm. one of them just sits down in first class and won't stand up. Wow. She just grabs an empty seat. And won't stand up. Like, okay. This is interesting. Uh, supervisor of some sort, either a union rep or my guess is HR. An HR expert because he was dressed not in a Delta uniform, but was wearing a very official headset. Comes in and gets down, you know, in the aisle next to this flight attendant in her seat where she won't leave and starts talking to her. The pilot lets us all know that the flight attendants are too nervous to work because of the turbulence. The turbulence? Yeah. They didn't even have a good reason. <laughs> the turbulence. And it's like, um, what? The turbulence. The large bird was the scary part. Yeah. So, we hit a bird. Everything was fine. And then there's a little bit of turbulence. I've been on turbulent flights. I've been in the we're all going to die flights. And this was not one of those. This was not. This was not one. I mean, I puked my guts up in the back of a plane circling a New York airport during a storm. <laughs> you know, I've, I've done this. And By the way, these are all good lessons in pitching. There's a story yeah. you could start with each. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Nate in the back. Nate yeah. with the bird strike. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and 
this is this was not that thing. And so the uh, the HR guy is standing here trying to talk to her, and the flight attendant uh, begins to be a little bit uh, animated. And so he tells her that she really needs to remove herself from the cabin with the passengers because this is unseemly. Yeah, this is not okay. So they move her up, uh, you know, to where the jump seat is, and he's trying to talk to her there. Where she then melts down, sobbing, bawling, this whole thing. She has a whole meltdown. And, and then he is like, yeah, this is not even happening here. Get off the plane. Like, he just, like, takes her off. Like, you will be removed. She wants to go get her bags. And he's like, nah. Like, just removes her from the plane. Other people come on the plane. Other Delta reps come on the plane. And they get her bags and remove her. Another flight attendant goes in solidarity. And we're stuck. Because FAA regulations say we can't fly with fewer than four flight attendants. <laughs> so we're sitting here because we have snowflakes who can't serve drinks. <laughs> no. <laughs> well, I do you understand. You were being so di- diplomatic. You said she became animated. Yeah. And now yeah. you lost your diplomacy. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. I'm still being diplomatic. This is still me being diplomatic. So I'm sitting here. My daughter's in the row in front of me and we're both just like, what's going on? Now- to really like tie a bow of just magnificence on this, the old man next to me starts loudly proclaiming for all to hear, some people around here just need to man up. Oh, that's amazing. <laughs> I'm old. I can say that. <laughs> some people just need to man up. That's what we used to say. Man up. Now, the thing that was so beautiful and ironic about this is he was the only one wearing a mask. Oh. So... <laughs> He created it. Like, he created dude, this situation. You and she, man. Like you and you are Twain. You are, you are a brace. You are peas, a pair. Yeah. Peas so he's loudly. He's loudly through his mask declaring that some people <laughs> just need <laughs> some people just need to man up. And I'm sitting here staring at him. He's on my deaf side, and he, you know, yeah, he keeps wanting to tell me stories about all the many times he himself has manned up in the past. And I'm sitting there thinking, like, you got a little I, can't, I can't, I can't get a little something on little your face. Right I can't now. quite hear you. <laughs> can't quite hear you there with that on your face. Uh, anyway, the flight attendant who got off in solidarity with her, she left. She was the only masking flight attendant at the time, but she was kind of, she was a, um, let's go back to diplomacy. She was, hmm, I don't know. <laughs> There's no diplomatic option. Yeah. Built like a wagon wheel. <laughs> <laughs> okay. She was. She was, she was good for rolling, mm-hmm. um, but she's, she was nice enough, but she was bailing with her yeah. partner and, and showing solidarity. And then the pilot had to come back after having told us that they were leaving because of nervousness due to the turbulence and he had to, didn't quite apologize. He just needed to come back and say, by the way, it's important that I clarify that I fully support their decision to mm. not work due to their <laughs> nervousness. Uh, thanks to the turbulence. We are now in contact with Atlanta. We're trying to find anyone who's willing to jump in on this flight so we can get you to Spokane because we can't legally fly without four flight attendants. We're fine. We hit the bird. We're fine. We're here. We're alive. The plane's okay. All we have now is a case of the nerves. <laughs> and I don't even know. I don't understand. I just don't. I don't get it. And then my wife, as I was texting my wife, she was texting me back saying, just imagine if you had a real emergency. Yeah. Like the flight attendants have to be able to step up. Like they are, they might be the ones, you know, pouring your Diet Coke right now, but in an actual emergency, they have to be the ones. Yeah. Helping people know to, where to, to go. To really get it done in a crisis situation. So they have to be good at 
hospitality and crisis management. And so the Which fact is the that, definition of a of you know many people's moms. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> and so these people were were revealing that they were not the ones for crisis management. They were they were not the people. I'm the diet coke one. Yeah, they, yeah, yeah, exactly. Uh, anyway, so the solidarity flight attendant leaves. She's gone for a while. She comes back maskless. Her mask is gone now. She's been crying a lot. Her no. face is very puffy. Her eyes are puffy. <laughs> oh, no. She's been crying a bunch, but she's back on the flight. Did you guys applaud? No, because there's also a flight attendant who happens to be flying on the flight who has volunteered to work. And Delta is trying to clear that one to approve her. If we're going to get this one approved, who's just volunteering, and this one who was bawling her eyes out somewhere and took her mask off. Then we're finally going to go home, but we're just sitting here. And then we finally get it. And it was hilarious. Some bureaucratic nonsense. The pilot comes on. It's like, so it turns out if we reclassify the flight, he's ex- over explaining everything's TMI. <laughs> we reclassify the flight in certain ways. We, we become legal in the FAA's eyes. And so we're trying to get Atlanta to reclassify us in a different category. And we finally do. And we land later than I've ever landed in my life in Spokane. <laughs> then I pull up home when the birds are singing and the sky is pink. The sun is getting ready to come up. It's like, this is ridiculous. And my daughter is like, this is an all-nighter. I was like, yep. If the birds are singing, it's an Mm all-nighter. I'm very familiar. But anyway, the snowflakery was strong in Salt Lake. It was blizzarding in Snot Snot Lake. (laughs) (laughs) So that's my new new name for Salt Lake. Snot Lake. Snot. Or just Snot Lake. (laughs) Yeah, Snot Lake. I mean, that's funny. It was. Just to see the masking mindset applied to turbulence it was like the two things in a row you think it was there's no question that it was turbulence after having heard the announcement of hitting a bird but the fact that i'm too nervous to work when everything knowing for a fact that it's fine everything's fine Mm -hmm. everything's been checked everything's fine the bird hit the windshield everything's fine that's it there were no other birds there's not like a flock it was just there was one bird strike and that was all too nervous to work. I, normally, it seems that peer pressure would be strong enough to motivate you to to not anymore. Yeah, see, that's what I'm surprised at. There's how many people on the 150 people on this flight? It was a layout. Yeah, it was a full flight when yeah. when actually while we're sitting there, a bunch of people just got off, bailed as they were waiting and waiting and waiting. When we landed in Spokane, I went up to the the poor puffy eyed girl who'd been crying a lot, mm. and I told her, "She's like, you're a champ. Thanks, many mm. thanks." And I'm thinking, I'm not lying. But that's how low the bar is now. <laughs> Just coming, like, it's coming back like, on the plane. You did your job. Way to go. Oh. And you did it three hours late. Mm. You waited a long time. You cried in between. But you know what? You, you did it. I think Jesus tells a parable about that. <laughs> you did it. <laughs> I will not and, go to the vineyard. And it was just, you know, and I, 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 show, I wanted to show her appreciation. But it was funny that I was showing her appreciation for not having flaked out as hard as her coworker who just flaked out all the way. Mm. And it's, uh, you know, it really, it really was interesting too, because it, the flight attendants, I, I was close enough to hear them talking about some of the, the people being removed for panic attacks and, and that kind of stuff uh, afterwards. Mm-hmm. And they were completely fine. Like they were totally fine. And they were talking about, uh, you know, these anxiety attacks these people were having, they were not buying this woman saying she's having a heart attack. They knew it was a panic attack. 
they knew these people were okay. They knew the plane was okay. It was all very mm. factual. Uh, and then it was like, it's late. We've been delayed. This is a really late flight to Spokane. It really was like an allowance of letting letting your, their emotions just kind of run away because yeah. the incentive to get to Spokane was too low. <laughs> like, right. There's no real desire to get there. And meanwhile, Mr. Masker next to me, we build the smear man up there. America. America used to be a great nation. <laughs> I threw my mask. <laughs> like, oh boy. Yeah, peas in a pod. Yeah. Anyway, that was my flight out of Salt Lake. And it was, I don't know, it was might have been a top 10 weird flight, mm. top five, maybe. <laughs> but that's was, a strange one. It was up there. You know, bird strike. I feel like that's something. Yeah. You want to shout every time you hear someone say, we hit a bird, you want to just shout, <laughs> bird strike, bird strike, <laughs> 10 points. Ten. The downside, I mean, it is, it is a legitimately scary thing if you hit a bird. Oh, I yeah. I mean, like, yeah. it's funny that, it, that we're that vulnerable. We've all watched Sully, right? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Bird yeah. strikes. Bird strikes. Oh, bird strikes. We, we in trouble. We understand those can be problems. Yeah. We're going to have to land in the Hudson. I think that's. Yeah, really where I go. <laughs> yeah, bird strike. So it's it's legitimately scary. But as soon as you're turning around, and you're flying, and everything's okay, and yeah. then you successfully are on the ground, and they check it, and everything's okay. Yeah, it's like well, some people are not as well. You know, we're all pretty separated from mortality. Yeah, but, we are. Uh, I, I, that brush was just a little too much. If you thought a mask was going to keep you from death yeah. for the past two, years. it is. It is these stories, though. I mean, the stories are just going. All the time. This is another example I've said often on this podcast and elsewhere that we are all in stories and we get to write our own behavior and we get to write our own dialogue. We get to write yeah. our characters and our character behavior in those scenes. And that uh, poor flight attendant that melted down, like that's just not the character anybody wants to be. Mm -hmm. At least it's not the character anybody used to want to be. And now there's a weird narrative that we have. There's a lot of people who want to be that character. They choose that character. And they choose that character for a lot of reasons. But, but it's not just there. It's not just outside the church. It's in the church. People choose their wound. They choose to really you know, keep, keep any damage, keep any wounds, keep any fears like pets. And it, really, so the character is the vulnerable one. Yeah. They're choosing to be someone who can't. Needing, needing their past. wounds and their damage to be their identity. Mm. Like really wanting that to be their identity and not Christ. You know, not wanting to be a faithful believer, but wanting to actually be Mr. Hardship, Miss Hardship. Yeah. Um, whatever it might be. Like they're all, they're defined by their pain, by their fear, by their anxiety, by their worry. And just um, by circumstance. Because like you said, at the end of the day, it's like people handle the difficulty in the morning so much better than the one that's happening. <laughs> at the end of the day. <laughs> I've three. been going for a while. I'm very tired. Yeah. And but so you don't now, understand. Yeah. The bird strike came at night. <laughs> and now I really, really want to be this character. Yeah. This is the character I want to be right now. And, you know, and I, I can be the guy in the seat. I can be the, you know, the guy going, man up, everybody, <laughs> and not see who I am, really. Like, yeah. Just that that beautiful touch of irony. But you have to, for all of us, like we're all next to ironies like that all the time. And we have to realize that there is an author and it's a gift to see that. It's a great character touch and it's a great gift. I got to sit by the old man yelling about America and the old ways mm -hmm. and how we got to man up. And, and this is not politically correct to say, but I'm old and I can say it while he's thoroughly masked. Yeah, totally virtue signaling. Yep, and took his mask off occasionally to converse and then would put it back on and on and off. It was like there was no 
he was not a he was not a consistent and coherent mask believer. It was just he's just a sheeple. Yeah, yeah. It's funny too that self reflection. I always find Spokane funny because you finish, you get to drive home, <laughs> yeah, and then you get to self reflect. There's a there's a nice period of contemplation as you drive from GEG <laughs> all the way back to and Moscow. Sometimes the spirit just works and like, why did you do that? And you're like, oh yeah. I, that moment of self reflection. I do wonder if <laughs> such characters, uh, like like the flight attendant, do self reflect at all. Yeah, but I think more often the more normal human behavior is to. Uh, recast narrative we retell we retell stories we rarely self-reflect and more often we retell stories to justify behavior that already happened so she's immediately going to be on the phone now what oh man this was so scary bird strike terror yeah, i just you know, i thought i thought we were going to die and then i emotionally know. i was distraught yeah. they tried to get me to work i'm going to file an hr complaint and then i was being forced yep the pilot had to apologize yeah yeah yep yeah so we, we recast and we retell the narrative and, and we tell it over and over and over again, changing it by degrees. Because you're like, oh, that didn't sound good. Until we get all the way to the place where our behavior was, in fact, completely yeah. reasonable. Yeah. <laughs> like, yep. In fact, we were the hero of the scene. Yep. Uh, you've mentioned that a good number of times. It's very true. We all do it. It's, it's not something that I can feel superior to. Whenever we have screwed up and we kind of know that we've screwed up, we have two options. One is to, well, two main options. One is to repent and one is to not. Mm -hmm. And once we've decided to not repent and we're not confessing the sin. There's a couple different routes. We immediately have to go to narrative catechism. So, you know, the name of this podcast is Stories Are Soul Food, but stories are also soul poison. Like we can, we can catechize ourselves towards truth, goodness, and beauty, and we can catechize ourselves into deception and confusion. Mm -hmm. um, we can muddle ourselves very, very easily. So in this in this kind of situation, it's very easy. We will all either repent of the sin and the misbehavior. We did whatever we did, and we have to own it and look straight at it, yeah, and like call it what it is, and and repent of it, or we don't. And if we don't, as soon as you don't name it, as soon as as soon as you have softened what you call it, you know, I'm sorry if you were offended. As soon as you know, as soon as, as soon as we start like softening anything in in what we did, we're telling a different narrative. What we have done is start spinning a story. We're we're now casting a story. We're going to the instant replay in our minds, and because there was no camera there, we actually start adjusting, editing, yeah. modifying. Because James talks about the guy who looks in the mirror and goes away and immediately forgets, yeah, you know, what you look like. Yeah, a big part of that I think is you're just. You have, there's not an incentive to remember what you actually look like. There's yeah. an incentive to put the, the positive side on it. Oh, we're highly incentivized because repenting is hard and painful and embarrassing. Yeah. And so, if you want to drink that draught, you want to really like guzzle that pint of, of humility and, and own what you just did and apologize for it. So, in that sense, it wasn't the peer pressure. It was actually the reverse peer pressure. She didn't want to look silly in front of those people. Yeah. And she knew... Hey, then I've gotten out of yeah. trouble. Yeah, with, this is how you do it with this move of like. I so, just and again, not just her. All of us right. do this. Right. Every human right. on the planet does yeah. this. Oh man! And so parents true. sadly accept it from their kids. Kids who you know they immediately start spinning a narrative. Why you know like I think about sports parents. There's a lot of since I coach, you watch kids fail or come up short or be frustrated about playing time or whatever it might be. And they start to tell a narrative. They start to they start to spin a tale, 
And in spinning that tail, they have to falsify all sorts of data. Coach doesn't like me. Yeah. It's all these extra things and the interpretation. Yeah. It's not because I'm a punk and I mouth off and I whine. Mm. Like, so, you know, when your aunt Glenda, when your grandmother, when your mom says, why don't you play more? You don't say, well, I'm kind of a jerk to be around. <laughs> None of my teammates trust me because I blame. When my coach tells me what to do, I don't do it. <laughs> I don't do it. And then when he asks me why I didn't do it, I make excuses. That's why. Like, now we just, that's not. Oh, that's hurt. That I mean, happens to everybody. Yeah, no. Everyone does that. Yeah. It's not something we don't then go just own the truth. Yeah. It's like, we don't say, well, I'm not as athletic and I'm shorter and I, I whine a lot. Yeah. I snapped at my kids because I was tired. That's a good one. Yeah, I, like I was tired. One. It's really, no, you, oh, it's a long day. Yeah. I just, it's quiet at work. When I get home, it's loud. Yeah, it was that, a long That's my excuse. <laughs> yeah. It's a great one. It was a, it was a long, <laughs> you don't, you don't understand. I had to exist all the way from breakfast until now. <laughs> and, and it's funny. And I have, I've had many, many conversations with my kids and with others where, immediately people want to point to and not not inaccurately i'm not trying to throw my kids under the bus i think this is this is just humanity you know this is what we all do we all want to point to all the ways in which we didn't screw up and we don't want to talk about our own the place where we just did screw up and i have with it with people who are um i'm going to i'm going to use some a strong image that i've used before for somebody and as base i might use slightly different words and I said, so if you ran a race, if you ran a 400 meter, because somebody was explaining how well they'd done for a long time. It's like, and everybody's watching and you run a full lap and right before the finish line, you stop and you just go to the bathroom on the track. <laughs> Does anybody care that you ran 398 meters perfectly? Mm. No. no, nobody cares. Nobody cares. This is all that matters. This is the only thing that matters is what you just did. This is the thing you have to own. And you have to own the fact that you are that guy who just did that thing. Like, this is it. That with some repentance. Everybody here. saw. And nobody cares about all the times you didn't do that. Mm. It's true that every other meter of this race, you didn't do that. <laughs> but, but at this point, you did. And the fact is, none of us get bonus points for not for all the for all the not screwing up. And so, if we, at the end of a long day we snap, if we are, are irritable, if we, you know, whatever, we space out, we we're not we're just not doing what we should do in any way. We fail and sin. We like to point to the rest of the day that we didn't. Yeah, we did, but I didn't do it this morning. I didn't do it at lunch. I didn't do it this afternoon. It's like you know what? No one cares. You didn't hit the finish line successfully. You stopped and you did this right before the finish line. You did not get through the day without doing this right before the finish line in front of everyone. Mm. This is what you did. So guess what you have, to, you have to do? You have to clean this up and you have to admit it to everybody. And you have to not point back at your great 398 meters. No one cares. Yeah. It doesn't buy you any grace. You didn't, you know, you didn't save up you know, any excellence that will offset that. Mm-hmm. He's like, that's, that's the giant oops. Right. And then it's also, you have to also own it. Like it's not a mistake. It was not a, it's not, it's not a, like a, <laughs> it's not an accident in that sense. Yes. <laughs> yeah, it's, exactly. It's, it's, 
you know, this is this is something you have to own as if it was a proactive choice that you made. And yeah, you did it on reflex in, in you know, if you snap on your wife or you right. you are angry at one of your kids or anything like that. You did it on reflex. Yeah. But we all we all know this. It doesn't matter all the people that you that somebody didn't rob. It doesn't matter all the money that wasn't embezzled. It doesn't it doesn't matter any of that matters. There were all, dollars and dollars. So many houses <laughs> I didn't break into. Every we all know that. Yeah. And yet when it comes to our own sin, we try to point to like this this massive amount of non-sin. Like look at all this non-sin over here. All these places where I didn't do anything wrong and we just right try to try to tiptoe around this and usually that's the trick too because we've been hiding the tiny sins in the 398 meters that led us to yeah oh yeah no there was stuff there (laughs) there was clearly stuff there but i like that that you that you that you can dodge the objection (laughs) yeah you're just no i it was not visible right and so i've had this conversation with people who had years of faithful service and then and then blew something up yeah you know it's like i've had this conversation with people who you know, it's like whether they're athletes or coaches or teachers or authors or, you know, people in ministry, you know, kids, you like, it just doesn't matter. Nobody cares. And you don't get to, if, if you're being flustered, if you're being frustrated, um, and this comes up a lot, if, I, if I'm talking to, uh, if I'm talking to my wife or I'm talking to my, one of my daughters and they're, and they're being tempted to be, uh, anxious they're attempted being worked up and if i I tell them not to be like like just don't be anxious it's very easy for them to be thinking like but i haven't been all the way until right now Mm. like it's like but i haven't been being and there's been i've been resisting this temptation for a long time all the way in all the way until right now and uh it just doesn't matter it doesn't it doesn't matter it just doesn't and it doesn't matter for guys, doesn't matter for girls. We all have these moments of temptation where we either on impulse snap and give in. We've been preparing ourselves to fail as characters. And then when we do, there's only one way to address it. We can repent or we can not repent. And if we don't repent, immediately we're authors. We're very, very quickly authors working in reverse to try to do spin yeah. uh, to justify what happened and how that could possibly be seen as the appropriate thing to have done. Or at least to um, not as terrible, you know how how we could have that that incident be not as horribly inexcusable as it probably right. actually was. Yeah, what did they say? Courage is the testing point of the virtues, and if you have that moment where you were cowardly, I mean, I'm thinking of the red badge of courage, yep. the moment where you run. Yep. You know, it doesn't matter that you were a good soldier before or after. The entire novel is now about. Yeah. Can you deal with the fact that yep. you don't have the badge? <laughs> and yeah, and you also you can change the story really quickly. Yeah, the faster you repent, the less it's the less the whole novel is about that. Yeah, which would be a benefit for <laughs> yeah, just be done, put it, put it away, yeah. repent, name it, look right at it, and name what you did. Yeah, uh, and it's it's pretty brutal. And so we see this. You know, my father talks about this a lot, where he talks about people who. Uh, you know, what can be forgiven, what can't be forgiven. Somebody says something vicious to somebody else. They say something rude. And I've, I've personally had a lot of apologies. I've received a lot of apologies from people who were like trying to, over the years, trying to deliver, trying to deliver an insult. You know, so it's like, hey, oh, you know, okay. I'm sorry that 
I've always hated you and always thought you were ridiculous. <laughs> you know, like, that, that kind of a thing. Thanks, man. <laughs> you know, that, that's that sort of thing. I've, I'm sorry that I've, I've told people that your books really suck and I hate them all, but I actually never read them. Oh. Yeah, I've, got, I've gotten that kind of thing. <laughs> it's a character moment. Yeah. They like, shouldn't have told you. <laughs> like, I was like, thanks. You know, I just say thanks and move on. But at the same time, it's like, what? Okay. <laughs> it's, I, all right. The people that you wronged are the people that you lied to when you said you read the books. Um, and you didn't. <laughs> like that's um, th those kinds of things. But yeah, it is, it's very, very easy to say, I didn't mean it. I'm sorry for being rude. I didn't mean what I said. Um, but my father's pointed out, it's actually really difficult to say, you know, I'm really sorry for saying that. I shouldn't have. I shouldn't have said that. I should not have said those things. Because mm -hmm. I, I meant them. I knew what I was saying. I meant them. And I yeah. should not have said those things. Yeah. You know, like that's much harder. And people are like, what? You know, I could forgive you if you said I didn't mean it. But saying I did mean it. That's why I said it. I said it because <laughs> I meant it and I shouldn't have. And it was wrong. Please forgive yeah. me. Is It's much, it's much harder. Um, and so even there, even when we're apologizing, we will shade. We'll shade the story. Yeah. I didn't mean it. I didn't, I didn't mean that. I really didn't mean that. Or I didn't mean, mean, didn't mean it the way you took it. And yeah, I totally did. Right. Christy and I joke about the concept of higher will in that same way. It's like, oh, I, I didn't mean to do that. And it's like, well, you did. Yeah. You know, you did it. You did the thing. You can tell which thing you wanted to do because. Yep. It's you, the thing that came out. It's the thing that you did. Yeah. The, the thing you chose to do. Yeah. Is the thing that you actually wanted to do. Oh, that's, that's really key. Also with, um, cause that's the excuse you give is, oh, I had this grand noble idea, but I ended up doing this petty little, yeah, this petty little racetrack yeah. move. And I've, I've talked to my kids often through the years about intentions are irrelevant when it comes to actions that were wrong. Oh yeah. That's like, great. Like just factor out the intentions and address the action, you right. know, just address what was done, what was said and keep the intentions out because we always have an idea that skin is skin sin is excusable yeah and so we're wanting to provide the excuse yep you know that's not what that's not what i meant right i wasn't i wasn't trying to hurt you and it's like well but the, yeah and all the way back to you know down to little kids my kids are older now but i wasn't trying to hurt you says the brother with the bat yeah who hit somebody in the side of the head and I've had that conversation so many times in the past yeah. couple months of that yeah. one. It's like, it just doesn't well, matter. You stabbed him with a pencil and it's like, I w wasn't trying to make him cry. I just wanted to hurt him a little bit. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. <laughs> and what you need to do here is apologize for being cruel and unkind. <laughs> yeah. And yeah. the intentions are something we can unpack as far as uh, how to avoid it in the future. Right. But have, they have no place in any kind of diagnosis of the repentance itself. Right. It's like you just apologize for having hurt. Right. You know, for having wounded as a And I think to. sometimes parents can play into that because they make you apologize for something you didn't you didn't do. Like if if you say my yeah. kid stabs the other kid with the pencil, you don't have them apologize for trying to break their bone or like murder yeah. murder them. It's like, no, you were unkind and cruel, yep. not murderous. Yep. Because if you say you're being murderous, apologize for really hating your brother. It's like, no, they're being they're just being stupid. They're being petty and unkind. Yeah. I generally, I, I would always make my kids have to say things like, I'm sorry for being stupid. Mm. And I just add this layer of humility. I'm sorry I was wrong. I'm sorry for being stupid. And 
Yeah. Um, you know, fill in the blank just because it's like that humility and repentance is really a, an important thing to practice. Yeah. You know, it's, it's really, it's really key that all of us need that ability to tell our wives and our friends or anybody. It's like, ah, I'm sorry. That was stupid. Right. Like I was stupid and, and paired with, especially for my, my sons had, to, especially my oldest had a blast with the words. I was wrong mm. or I am wrong. You were right. I was wrong. Mm. Uh, we're so hard. But this is, incidentally, it's like we're not far afield. We're not like rambling off about uh, unrelated issues here. Like this is all the outworking of narrative. Yeah. So in, in communicating all of this to my kids, it's always been communicated via character. Who are you being? Are you being Edmund? Like, are you being Edmund in The Lion, the Witch, and the Wardrobe? Are you being Tumnus? You know, this, this little kind of treacherous person who then uh, feels that, you know, that tug of conscience that you're kind of well down a path that you shouldn't be down. Uh, who are you being? Which character mm -hmm. are you being? And this is why you want to read broadly and you want to read rich, good stuff. So there's, there's strong and good handles. Uh, the other thing I talked, I've talked a lot more recently um, about my daughter's brought it up a lot. My older daughter keeps bringing it up. She's like, you know, it's just, it's an important step to, to be thinking of yourself as a secondary character. Like mm. most of the scenes, we live our scenes as if we're at the center, but we also, we need to be able to live our scenes as if we're secondary, as if we're a secondary character. Mm. And so live your scenes as if that person across from you is the star of the movie and this is their movie. Mm. Like, like this is the person next to me in the airplane, this is his scene. And I get to be the guy next to him. How am I going to play this? You know, it's like, how do I, how do I play this all as a secondary role? And in every, in every bit of dialogue in relationship to my wife, in relationship to my kids, in my kids' relationships to each other, how do, how do they learn and become excellent uh, at being secondary characters? Mm. Like, and not thinking of themselves as primary characters. If you have a, if you have a family full of primary characters, it'll be pretty ugly, pretty fast. Yeah. Everybody pull in different directions. If everybody thinks of themselves in a subordinate role, then it can, it can be symphonic. So yeah. that's great. That's a good place to stop. Secondary characters all around in case of bird strike, don't panic. <laughs> bird strike plus turbulence. Don't panic, especially when the bird strike comes to nothing and you're already on the ground safely. Then really don't panic. Yeah. Well, nothing from the point of view of the plane. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> bird strike square into my emotions square into my emotions do not be the character who panics also don't be the self-righteous dude behind the mask mm. or the self-righteous dude beside the dude behind the mask <laughs> <laughs> layers i love it yes it's been already an, another pleasant it's been sun it's it's been sass 79 yeah. we'll have to come up with a good one for 80 oh yeah let's do it Thanks for listening to SASFA. We're very happy to have you all along on this ride with us. Appreciate all the feedback, all the questions, and all the good words from all the listeners around the country and even some internationally. Anyways, what I got for you right now is <laughs> the announcement that Fantastical Wordcraft, N.D. Wilson's School Of, is actually on Canon Plus and available to listen to. Um, I think the last time I mentioned it, it was at some point in the future, but it's there now. So for the 
low, low price of 99 cents with code SASFA99, S-A-S-F-99. Uh, you can pay 99 cents for your first month, watch the course, and then if you can't find anything else to listen to, you can unsubscribe. Or you can stay subscribed to continue to support us and show us the love. Anyways, you might be asking, what is the School of Fantastical Wordcraft? It's basically Nate's 10 to 15 minute talks, nine of them, plus an intro on how to tell stories. So if you've ever wanted to tell stories, nonfiction or otherwise, um, and you thought, man, I should, I should become a writer. I want to finish that novel. This is the course for you. Nate always says it's for kids as young as anyone who's ever said, hey, I want to be a writer when I grow up, and for adults as old as the same thing. So there you go. Some of my favorite lectures. I think the plot and outlining and story architecture chapters especially useful. And then, of course, uh, Nate's descriptions of how to write the basics are also key. Anyways, there's the pitch for N.D. Wilson's School of Fantastical Wordcraft available on Canon Plus now. You can subscribe using that code SASF99 if you're a first-time subscriber and you go to mycanonplus.com.